has echoed throughout church history to every single believer. Jesus simply telling each and every one of us, follow me. Follow after me. And that's what we have been studying in the youth services this summer. Asking that question, what does it mean or what does it look like to follow Jesus in 2019 America? Has it changed in 2,000 years? Is it something different? What does it look like? What does it mean? And this morning, we will ask that question and examine the same truths that we are learning on Wednesday nights. And we're learning these things based on God's Word. And the first thing that we're going to see and understand this morning, hopefully the overall arching thing we're going to understand, is the true meaning of following Jesus. Look there again in verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now we need to talk about some context. We need to kind of lay some groundwork to what's going on here in Matthew chapter 16. The very beginning of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus speaks out against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He tells the disciples to be, to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, talking about hypocrisy. That it only takes, just like yeast and bread, it only takes a little bit of hypocrisy to corrupt the entire person. We see that in Matthew 16. We also see, starting about verse 13, that Jesus asks another question to his disciples that's very telling of where they are. He says, where do the, what do the people say about me? Who do they say that I am? And then he turns it around and says, okay, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter confesses Christ. That's also going on here in Matthew chapter 16. Peter says, you're the Christ. And then a few verses after that, Jesus rebukes Peter. He says, get behind me, what? Do you remember? Satan. Get behind me, Satan. He rebukes him. Get behind me, Satan. And then verse 24 we have this command that Jesus gives to his disciples to follow him. So this morning we're going to break this verse down, this very simplistic verse that most of us, if you've been in church any amount of time at all in your life, you've probably heard this verse, right? You've, you've probably, I'm getting a few nervous head shakes. You can say, okay, it's fine. Okay. You've, you've heard this verse, right? You've heard the command of following after Jesus, and so we're going to break this down and we're going to study that this morning and say, okay, what exactly is Jesus telling us here? What exactly is Jesus defining as what it means to follow after him? So if you would look there, verse 24. He starts off and he says, if anyone would come after me. Now this verse, it's very important to understand what Jesus is saying here. This statement, he's referring to all who would desire for him to save them. He's talking to his disciples. He's saying, if you would come after me, or if you desire salvation through me. This is Jesus blanketing a phrase here that really covers and goes to all people throughout history who have ever desired salvation from him. This is what Jesus is starting this command off with. He says, if you have desired salvation from me, then the things that I'm fixing to tell you are for you. We cannot disconnect the Christian life from what Jesus is fixing to tell us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. I say that because there is such an attack on God's word today. There are so many people who tell you it's not needed, it's not important, we don't need the Old Testament, we don't need the New Testament. In church, I'm here to tell you that's simply not true. We need it. It is God's word. It is for us. It does not fade or fall away. 
It is important, and Jesus uses this phrasing to say, if you desire salvation from me, then these things are for you. That everything that Jesus explains about following him is biblical Christianity. The things that Jesus is going to tell us here in this simple verse is him saying that true Christianity is following after me. These truths that we're going to see, church, we have to understand, according to God's word, these are non-negotiable. Do we understand that? We, We cannot cast these aside or ignore these things if we truly desire Christ. We can't do it. And if we do do it, we compromise the gospel truth itself. We cannot twist God's word. We cannot change God's word. Our only responsibility is to receive and trust God's word. And I hope that's why you're here this morning. Because God's word does not change. It should change us. And we study this even further. And we go and he said, if anyone would come after me. So if you desire salvation from Christ, he says, first and foremost, let him deny himself. Look at that phrase there in verse 24. Jesus tells us that first and foremost in following him, we must deny ourselves. Now we've heard this talked about, but what does this mean? Well, literally Jesus saying that in denying, he's actually saying that we lose sight of ourselves. That's what the word means. That's what it's talking about, that we lose sight of of ourselves. Now, practically, this tells us that in following Christ, it is no longer about our wants and desires, but about His, right? It's about Him. It's about what He desires for us. And theologically, this reminds us of Galatians chapter 2, where Paul says He's crucified the flesh. In denying ourselves, we daily sacrifice who we are to attain who Christ is. Oftentimes, I heard a church member a while back saying this. Oftentimes, we have this idea that we're supposed to make ourselves Christian. When Scripture tells us, no, we're supposed to crucify ourselves. We're supposed to crucify the flesh. As Jesus says, we deny ourselves. We essentially lose sight of ourselves for what purpose? So we can fix our gaze on Jesus. He is our focus. He is the point of our entire lives. I love Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which entangles and fix our eyes on Jesus. Run the race with perseverance and fix our eyes on Jesus. The author of Hebrews tells us that in this life we are in a race, and the end goal and the end prize is Christ. Right, church? He's the goal. He's the prize. The old person who wanted what they wanted has died, and the new man desires to be filled with the fullness of Christ. He is not just our Savior. He is our Lord, and He is our life goal. He is what we desire in in this life. When we looked at this point in the youth, the title kind of sounded harsh, but it's true. The title of the message that we preached on Wednesday night it was, we, in following Christ, we stopped following our dreams. And I told them, that sounds very harsh, but let me explain what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that as Christians that we don't strive for a goal or we strive to accomplish things in life. There are some many successful people in this church, very many successful people who are Christians. But what this simply means in denying ourselves is that we achieve those things and we strive for those goals, not to please ourselves, but to please Christ. It's no longer about what we want 
It's about what Christ wants through us. We deny ourselves and we strive towards Christ. Essentially, Christ is everything for the Christian. Does anyone in here like coffee? Mm-hmm. Nick does. Nick, Nick almost stood up. He got so excited. Do you have coffee? No, I don't have coffee, Nick. I'm sorry. I enjoy coffee. Think about coffee. For me to make coffee, and I made some this morning, I have to have a filter, and I have to put the coffee in the filter, and that water has to pass through that coffee and that filter, right? That's Everyone with me, or have I been making it wrong for years? Okay. That's how we do it, right? Jesus is the filter of our lives. Essentially, to put it in a way that, that I can understand it, okay, everything that I am, everything that I'm going to be should pass through that filter of following after Christ, denying my desires and my wants and filtering it through the gospel message and the truth of Jesus. I deny myself and I follow after Christ. Christ is the starting point for our day and the end to our goals. He's the start. He's the end. Jim's been in Revelation for the last few Sunday nights. What does Jesus say early on in Revelation? I am the Alpha and the Omega. Church, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, not just of the world itself, but of our very lives as Christians. He is the beginning and the end of it all. In following Christ, we deny ourselves. And then the very next phrase is Jesus saying that we carry our cross. Look there in Matthew 16 again. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Now, to go back to a little bit of context, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus is telling of his future death and resurrection. This is something that Jesus did throughout his ministry, specifically to his disciples. He would talk about and prophesy about his death and his resurrection. And oftentimes the disciples didn't understand what he was talking about, but here they understood, or at least Peter did. He knew what Jesus was saying. And in Jesus talking about his future death and resurrection, Peter takes Jesus aside to attempt him to stop this kind of speech. And then Jesus rebukes Peter. Now, now why would Peter do that? Why would Peter pull Jesus aside? Well, we have to understand that Peter just confessed that Jesus was the Christ, right? Everyone with me on that? Everyone remember that? Jesus, or Peter just said, yes, you're the Christ. Well, the, in this day and age, and the thought still is to an extent, that the Messiah would just be a physical king. That he would just come and he would break the bonds of, of whoever was over, over Israel, which was Rome at this time, and that he would be a physical king. And so Peter just said, you're the Christ. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon. Your name will be Peter. And then immediately after that, Jesus is talking about having to die. See, to Peter, this just didn't make sense. Why would the Christ, why would the Messiah be saying these things? Well, because Jesus was accomplishing much more than just being a physical king. And so Jesus rebukes him and says in Matthew 16, verse 23, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter was only concerned with, with manly things, not godly things. And then Jesus says, verse 24, and he uses the phrase, taking up your cross. See, we have to understand the context because Jesus is not only telling of his own death, but he brings to their attention that in following him, they have a cross to carry as well. They have a cross that they have to carry as well. Jesus would literally carry a cross to his death 
And then he tells his disciples, and you, in following me, have a cross that you must bear up as well. You have a cross that you have to carry as well. That in following Jesus, we are embracing God's will, no matter the cost that it imposes on our life. Church, I want to be very careful with this. I don't want to misinterpret this. I don't want to misinterpret what Jesus is telling us because, again, there are so many people who want to overlook this truth of Scripture and the doctrine of suffering in the Christian life. Time and time and time again, God's Word says that we, in following Christ, will suffer. It does. If you don't believe me, examine the Scriptures. It's everywhere. That in following Christ, we will suffer at the hands of a lost world who hates Him. Listen to what Jesus says, John chapter 15, verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep Yours. Very clear language from Jesus. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Paul, later on in 2 Timothy, his last letter before, before he is killed for the faith that he has in Jesus, he's writing to Timothy, starting in verse 10. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And then verse 11, he says, You've not only followed my good things, He says, you've also followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Now, it's not news to us that Paul suffered, right? Paul went through a lot, to say the least. And we don't have time to go into detail everything that Paul suffered for the name of Jesus. But what I want us to see is verse 12. Paul, in writing to Timothy, he says, Indeed... All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone hear me? Okay, I'll read it one more time. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This also seems like a non-negotiable. This also seems like Jesus and Paul are telling us that this is part of the plan. This is part of the reality of following Jesus in this lost and dying world. And for the majority of the brothers and sisters that we have in this world, that's exactly what we see. Persecution, excuse me, persecutions, suffering, hardship. We cannot ignore it and we cannot change it. We are to simply trust it. That in pursuing Christ, shirking this world and the sinfulness of it, we will suffer we will go through difficulty and even persecution. In church, what I want us to be careful of is that we don't ignore or deny God's Word. Because it very clearly tells us that in following after Christ, in standing for Christ in your job, with your friends, in your family, you will suffer persecution. Now, we've already talked about, and and right on the heels of 4th of July, we live in a wonderful place, don't we, church? We do not face the heat of persecution like the majority of the world today. 
the church, I guarantee you that if every single one of us in every area of our life followed after Christ no matter the cost, we would suffer some form of persecution, mockery, slander. We see it with our students. We see it with students who deny what's expected as a teenager to live that way. We see their friends making fun of them. Is that not a form of persecution? Absolutely. We see people losing their livelihood. We see people losing their status in society because they simply follow after Jesus. What we have done is we have mixed our American dream ideologies with biblical Christianity. We have this idea that, oh, God wouldn't allow us to suffer because he loves us. What about the rest of the world? What about those Christians in India or China who every single day are faced with that possibility of heavy persecution? What about them? Does God not love them? Biblically, we can't escape it, nor should we try to. In following after Christ, we deny ourselves and we have a persecution and a suffering look forward to. To live a godly life, simply church, is to be prepared for persecution. doesn't mean that we're going to face it as intensely as the rest of the world, but what it means is that in following after Christ, we are prepared for it, and we are willing to go through with it. We are willing to suffer and go through these persecutions and these hardships because we are following Jesus. Jesus says we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and then simply he says we follow him. Look there in verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 24 again. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Simply follow the example of holiness and godliness that Christ displays to us. We have the Gospels that tell us the way that Christ lived in this life, and we have the letters that tell us how we should as well and how we can as well in this life. Christ's call is to follow him in a death to ourselves and a new life in him, pursuing Christ in all areas and all matters of our life. That's what it means to follow someone, right? Anyone ever play the game Follow the Leader growing up? A few of us? Amen, right? Great game. If you stepped out of line, you're no longer following the leader, right? If you stop doing what the person in front of you is doing, you're no longer following. This is very simple, and I think this is why Jesus speaks to us in this way, because it's a very simple concept. I don't know if you're like me, but I need simple instruction. Right, honey? Good head nod. Okay. He says simply, follow me. Follow me. Follow my example. Do as I have done. Continue in this life as I have done. Suffer as I have done for the glory of God. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13, says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Conduct, that means behavior, the way you live your life. Not just coming on Sundays and Wednesdays, but the way that you live your day in, day out. It's been said many times. I think I heard it first from the great preacher Adrian Rogers. Character is who you are in the dark. If you want to know who someone is, find out what they do away from this place. Following after Christ, living a holy life, is a continual striving for the Christian. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart, to to live 
blameless, to be placed aside for a special purpose. Christ says we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow after Him. We follow after Jesus. This is what He is telling us in Matthew chapter 16. And so in asking that question, what does it look like? What does it mean to follow after Jesus? I think we could sum it up like this to wrap it up this morning. To follow Christ is to abandon ourselves, our dreams, and even our own safeties. That's what it means to follow Christ. That's maybe what we will experience in following Christ. Abandoning ourselves, our dreams, our wants, and even our own safeties to follow after Jesus. That's what we see in Matthew 16, verse 24. That's what it tells us. That's what Jesus very clearly tells us. So a question that came to my mind in studying this verse and looking at it is that someone may, may ask, why would Jesus so blatantly tell us about suffering? Why would he so blatantly tell us about denying ourselves and going through and suffering loss for following after him? Why wouldn't he wait for later down the road when he's already got a bunch of people on board? He doesn't do that, does he? He very openly, very clearly, very honestly says, in following after me, you will suffer. You will deny yourself and you will suffer at the hands of a lost world. Jesus does that to be honest with us. He tells us time and time again about the suffering that we may face. He tells us to consider the cost, to count the cost of following after him. He tells us to follow after him even though we will suffer these things. So church, for us this morning, the next question we have to ask is then why would anyone want to follow him? We've been told in our society, in our life, that if we're going to partake in some kind of transaction, it needs to be for our good and our betterment. But Jesus very openly tells us that in following him, we will suffer loss. So why in the world would we follow after Jesus? Because, church, he is worth it. He is worthy of everything you might lose in this life. Every moment of suffering, persecution, or denial of yourself is worth every bit of it because in exchange we have Jesus. Paul writes kind of a summation of this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul, who suffered like he did, looks at his life in 2 Corinthians and says, It is light and it is momentary in comparison to what we have to look forward to. Church, what you are going through right now in following after Christ, think of your eternity to come. Those things become light and momentary. James 4, what is your life? It is a vapor. Here for a moment, gone the next. Paul says these sufferings, they are light and they are momentary. They happen for a second and then they're gone because we know that we have an eternity to look forward to with Jesus. 
It is an eternal weight. I love the, the contrast here in 2 Corinthians. He says the sufferings that we go to, they are light and they are momentary. And the glory in heaven that we have to look forward to, it is eternal and it is weighty. It is something that we have to look forward to. And no matter what we experience in this life, He is worth it all. He is worth every moment of suffering and persecution that you might face for following after Him. Loss of your job, loss of your family, loss of anything. He's worth it all. Because at the end of it all, we get Him. As I was thinking about this, it reminded me of a quote that I've seen out of a book. I don't read books. I just see quotes from them, and I read the quotes themselves. There's an author named C.S. Lewis, and most of us know who C.S. Lewis is. I think even Brother Jim quoted C.S. Lewis last week with Henry Serves. And C.S. Lewis is kind of known for two sides of literary work, for, for fiction and nonfiction. In, in nonfiction, of course, great works like Mere Christianity and these, these kind of Christian classics. But also for fiction. He wrote many, many books, kind of fantasy or, or fiction books. And I think his, his most well-known works uh, is, is the Chronicles of Narnia. Have you ever heard of the Chronicles of Narnia or seen the movie that was written by C.S. Lewis? And like most Christian authors, a lot of the characters are symbolic of greater Christian or spiritual truths. We see it in, in, in other Christian works like John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. This is a book written in the 1600s. All, all these things, kind of fantasy fiction, but they're, they're used to display a greater truth. And Lewis, in, in his first book, if you're familiar with the story at all, four kids wind up in this, this place called Narnia. And in learning what this land is, they hear of the leader of Narnia named Aslan. And Aslan is this great lion. And, and we read here, when they're first introduced and, and see this, the reality of who Aslan is, it starts and says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. In church, in understanding this illustration, let's think of Jesus. If we ask the question, is he safe? The answer, according to Christ and according to Paul, the answer is no. No, he is not safe. He is not safe for your comfort. He is not safe for your career. He is not safe for any of that. But he's good. And he is worthy of following and losing all for. He is good and he is the king. So church this morning, Christian, are you following after Christ? Are you embracing God's will for your life even though you know it's going to cause cost? Are you following after Christ? And for those of us in here who don't know Christ, who have never truly repented from their sins and, and trusted in Jesus, I want to read the next two verses out of Matthew 16. We were in 24, now 25 and 26. Jesus said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? There's nothing in this life that you could gain. You 
you gain it all. But the end of it, if you lose your soul, it's pointless. Christian, we're going to have a time to respond. If you need to refocus, if you need to refocus your life, recommit to following after Christ, now's the time. If you're in here and you've never truly trusted in Christ and you're not following after Him and you've never believed in Him for salvation, now's the time. Let's pray this morning, church. Father, I thank You for this morning, God. I thank You for this time that You've allowed us to be here, Father. God, we thank You for Your Word. God, it is very honest with us. It doesn't pull any punches. It it doesn't try to fool us into thinking that the Christian life is an easy one. But God, we know that at the end of it all, it's worth it. God, I pray for this church. I pray that each and every one of us would understand these truths. And God, that each and every person in this room would know who Jesus is. Lord, we love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us, please?